Welcome to LMK How. I'm Lauren. I work in the PR space and love immersing my life with knowledge from mental health to wellness to beauty, along with all things trendy. I interview people from all different industries while also including solo episodes about the things that interest me. I'm stoked to have you here. Now let's get to the episode. Gabriela Uoa is a Cuban-American journalist and mental health advocate. After working at Architectural Digest as the assistant to the editor-in-chief, Gabriela went off to pursue her passion of sharing stories, focusing primarily on stigmatized topics. She's been published in publications such as the New York Times, Birdie, Architectural Digest, and more. In May 2020, Gabriela started Should We Talk About It? a show dedicated to conversations surrounding mental health. Just one year later, she's launching Thoughts May Vary, a podcast that illuminates stories and lessons about personal development and mental health. Hello, everybody. It's Lauren from LMK How, and today we have Gabby on. <laughs> um, oh, also, I'll get your bio and I'll put it in later. Yeah. Perfect. Okie doke. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. One of the things that I like to ask every guest is what's one thing that you do for yourself every day? Oh my gosh. Um, wow. Okay. Let's see. What's one thing that I do for myself every single day? I think it changes. Um, I definitely go through waves of different routines and different things that I like to do for myself right now. I've been going through a lot of change. I just moved to LA And for the past couple of months, I've been living with my boyfriend. So a lot of that like alone time disappeared. And so I think something that I do every single day without fail is my skincare routine. And that is truly, I feel like so many people say that, but it really is like my time for just me. And I think during quarantine, like I obviously have not been wearing makeup as much as I normally would. And I still feel like it's such a cleansing process for me. And it's just like my me time. And even though I'm not like wiping off the day's makeup, even if I literally didn't even leave my apartment, like it's just such a nice moment of me time. No, I feel that. It's a common answer too. I'm sure. That people use their skincare. And I agree. I always, the nights when I do my skincare routine and I even throw in like an extra serum or a face mask, those are like the really good nights of skincare. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Last night I literally went on this like binge of buying skincare. I've been really obsessed with Hiram on YouTube. I know I'm like late. Yeah. Oh, I love him. I love him. Binging his videos and like everything. My skin has just been freaking out since I moved to LA. And so everything that he recommends to me, that's, I really love his philosophy and, and um, the things that he looks out for in products. So I've been just like buying so much, especially because a lot of the stuff that he recommends is so affordable. Yes. So I have this excuse of like, it's okay. It's, you know, a couple bucks. I'm going to buy it and and try it and see how it goes. So last night I ordered a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Oh, I want to know like what you get. Are you going to put it on your YouTube channel? (laughs) Probably. I feel like I need to, I'll do like a proper routine. People ask me about it, but it just, this whole like YouTube thing is so new to me that like, I still am like, why does anyone care what I'm putting on my face? So I I stop myself from filming those videos because I'm like, no one cares. But like, oh, no, we care. Ah, so <laughs> I, I care guess. as a friend and your audience cares too. And I know they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, that's awesome. I love skincare so much too. So I'm really excited to see you on this journey of 
figuring out your skincare in LA and all of that because I know the weather's so much different than um, the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, one of the things I also wanted to ask you about was how you got your first job as the EA at um, Architectural Digest. Yeah, um, that's a question that I get asked a lot. And I think it's so funny because I never thought people would be really curious about it, which was honestly pretty naive of me because I, as a young person, I mean, I am a young person, but like when I was in college and things like that, like I would find the people who are assistants to the editor in chiefs at Connie Nast and like, and, and try and talk to them. Um, but yeah, so basically to make a very, very long story shorter, um, Working at Connie Nast, for those who don't know, Connie Nast is a big publisher that they own pretty much like every magazine you read, whether it's like Vogue or Teen Vogue um, or Architectural Digest or Glamour, um, Vanity Fair. Like they own all these amazing magazines. And for me, I always really just wanted to write for magazines. I was always super fascinated by it and the process of like putting out um, a print issue. And so I always really, really wanted to work at Connie Nast. I definitely had like preferences, but I was like, I don't care. I'll work at whatever magazine just to get my foot in the door. And I had my mindset just kind of on that from like a really young age. Like I'm talking like middle school, like middle school. I was like, I want to work there. And then when I got to college, work was always just such a priority in my life. Like my mom, um, she would always really get on my sister and I about work. Like we always had summer jobs. We just, it was more so work than school. That was like the priority in our house. And so when I got to college, it was very natural for me, for my mind to just go to, okay, you need to get internships every summer. And so that's what I did. I definitely recognize, you know, my place of privilege, knowing that I was able to take these internships in the fashion industry and in the media industry, because at the time, and I think still now, like the majority are unpaid and I'm not from New York. I was going to school in DC. I'm from Miami. And so I would have to move to New York every summer pay for an apartment there and take this unpaid job. So I always, when I tell this story, like emphasize, you know, the fact that I know that it was a very lucky situation that I was able to do that. And um, I want to, you know, help in any way that I can to remove that sort of barrier um, to entry because it's just ridiculous. But anyway, (laughs) that aside, I got all these internships in the summer and I really just prioritized finding any sort of job in media or in fashion. So like anything like magazine adjacent because Connie Nast didn't take interns. And so I just worked my butt off every summer and I was living in New York every summer. And then when I graduated from college, I knew that if I wanted to work in, in, um, magazines, it wasn't going to be a case where like my friends in finance had a job offer a year prior. Like I knew I was going to graduate and have to move to New York without a job and just say a little prayer and like apply like a mad woman. So that's what I did. I, I moved to New York right a couple months after I graduated and I just started freelancing. So the moment I got there, um, I met with somebody at, at HR and this is something that I always tell people when they ask me about like getting a first job is like, meet with HR if you can, even if there's no job offers and just make it known that you're interested, that you're eager to learn and you'll, you know, these are your skills, this is what you're interested in. And then if they like you, you'll probably be top of mind as, as long as you keep them posted on what you're doing. So met with someone at HR. He was like, I really like you. We have no jobs to offer though. So just keep me posted. And I was like, will do, trust me. So then I just started freelancing. I started freelancing for the New York times a little bit. I was freelancing for this fashion brand called Hunting Season and helped them like put on their first presentation for Fashion Week. 
and was just doing all of this. And this was took about like four months. And it was also in the summer in New York, which people have to keep in mind, like the city's empty. Everyone goes to the Hamptons and no one's checking their email. So I was really not getting a lot of responses from like my job op- like uh, applications on Indeed and things like that. And then one day I just got a call in, I think it was like the end of September. So like right after Labor Day, some someone else from HR, Connie Nass, called me and asked me if I wanted to interview to be Amy Astley's assistant. And for anyone who loves magazines, like we know who Amy Astley is. Like she found Vogue. She had been at Connie Nast for 30 years and, you know, is honestly such a iconic badass woman. So I was like, absolutely. I want to interview to be her assistant. And at this point she had been an architectural digest for about three years and I'd never seen myself in design, didn't know anything about it. And I went in interviewed just because I wanted to work for her. And so I think that's the key is that you have to be willing to take jobs that might not fit your exact five-year plan because you never know the stepping stones that it, it'll take you. So that's how I got that job. I, I interviewed with a couple of people before I interviewed with Amy and um, I was interviewing for another job at Vanity Fair at the time also and ended up taking the job with Amy because even though the Vanity Fair job was something that was more in my wheelhouse being a fashion assistant, this was like getting to learn directly with someone who no one gets access to. So that's how that started. And it took about four months. I started the first week of October of, 2020, of 2018 22 years old and I was there for two years how did they find you um before you got that call like because you Uh, said the guy wanted you to keep him updated so how did that work well I kept him posted so I basically would send him my updated resume like every couple of weeks and kept him kept showing him like even though I don't have a full-time job right now look at all of the things that I'm doing so I really always encourage people for when they're looking for a job, if they're struggling to find full time to if they can take on freelance work, um, because a, the majority of the time it's paid and B it shows that you have this drive and this hustle to get what you want. So, and funnily, funnily enough, like when I, once I got hired, Amy told me that one of the defining factors that really put my resume aside from others was that freelance work because I was working with the times and, and places like that. So she was like, it showed that you were trying, you know, to, to get where you needed to be. Yes. It's kind of like she was watching you during the interview process to see what were you, what you were going to make out of the situation while you were waiting yeah. for this yeah, um, interview to come in. Because I think like a big misconception with with um, assistant jobs is that people just think like you're someone's personal assistant or you're just doing like all this bitch work. And at the end of the day, like you kind of are. And like I was doing a ton of grunt work and, you know, I got very lucky to have a boss that didn't make me her personal assistant. You know, mm-hmm. obviously personal bleeds into business every now and again, but I was really helping with just stuff with the magazine and what and just making Amy's life easier on a day to day. But I think there's this big misconception of either that A is a very easy job, which it's not. (laughs) And I pride myself on the fact that I was a really good assistant. And now like, you know, when I, it's funny when I left my job and I I was taking these like informational calls with, with people who wanted to take my job, I was like so protective over the role. Cause I was like, you, you don't get it. Um, and you get so close with your boss that you want to make sure that they're left in great hands. Um, but yeah, I think like a lot of, a lot of things that, and a, a big mistake I'll say that I see young people make when they're in their first jobs is that they don't take advantage of what's around them. 
And I think that was like the best. That's that's why I wanted that job was because I I knew that even though I was technically at the bottom of the totem pole, I had direct access to the person at the top of the totem pole. And you get access to everything that comes with that. So I got to really understand how a magazine is made. I got to hear, you know, insider info on the industry, where it's going, where it's heading, trends that we're focusing on. Um, You get a first look at all of this and then you just network. And I think a lot of people let that, those opportunities slide. And that's what makes your career at the end of the day. Yes, it looks fantastic on a resume to be an assistant to a type of person like this, but that's just a resume, you know, like the, the contacts that I made are the reason that I can be where I am now Mm -hmm. and be comfortable in it, you know? Yeah. What would you say to someone who maybe is interested in a similar career journey outside Mm -hmm. of college, but they maybe are not as, um, what's the word? Not an introvert, an extrovert. What happened? You know what I mean? If someone's a little more reserved, what are maybe some like tips or tools or maybe even a mindset that you would be like, this is the way that I thought and it helped me? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that being an introvert is a bad thing at all um, in this type of role. I think, you know, definitely get comfortable in your personality and be comfortable speaking and, and being eloquent because as someone's assistant, you are sort of the first line before anyone else gets to them. You know, you're answering their phone calls. If, you know, if you go to events with them, people talk to you to get to your boss. And so I think just being comfortable in a sort of like public speaking situation um, is important, but don't, don't get too caught up on the fact that you're an introvert and, and let that bring you down because at least in my role, you know, I definitely was lucky where Amy wanted my opinion and she, she would ask me, you know, questions like that. And, and we would have pretty candid conversations, but at the end of the day, there's still your boss and there's still a deep level of formality there. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're an introvert, just lean into it, you know, it's not like you're supposed to be blabbing all of the time. So I, you know, I definitely, my personality, I think, being sort of like a people type of person helped me. But at the same time, like I, you definitely have to know when it's your time to talk and when it's, and when it's not. So I definitely would just say, remember that, (laughs) remember that it's not your position and your place to be speaking up all the time. You're really, that's not what it is as as an assistant. You're typically not in these meetings, like giving ideas on the spot Um, and just get comfortable in your strengths and, and play up those strengths and recognize how your weaknesses can be turned into strengths, how you can sort of lean on other um, tools that you may have in order to offset the things that you might see as, as a weakness. But just don't get too caught up in it, I would say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> no, that's definitely helpful. Um, and after you, you said you were there for two years in that position. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that two years... How did you decide that that was the time for you to leave and to try some other things and some new, like moving and all of that? Yeah. So when I got hired for the role, Amy sort of made it pretty clear that, you know, she really 
wants her assistants to grow. That's why she typically has pretty young assistants that are straight out of college because she likes to help them in their careers and help them flourish. And from day one, she was like, what are you interested in? Like, where can I help you grow? Um, Which again is very, very rare in that industry. Um, So I think from the beginning, I kind of had the understanding that no one really stayed in that role for more than a year and a half to two years. So I like had that timeline in my head. And then um, quarantine hit around my year and a half mark. And that obviously sort of threw a wrench in the plans that I had. And, you know, it was such a blessing in disguise in so many ways where if if I would have stayed in New York, so basically the uh, quarantine hit and and, um, I went back to Miami to stay with my mom. And um, I feel like if quarantine wouldn't have hit around that one year mark, I was supposed to have a meeting with her to like discuss my next steps. And in my head, I was just going to go probably to another magazine and to be an assistant editor or, you know, an editorial assistant, like something like that was probably the next move for me at the time, because that's what I knew. And, and in my head, I was like, I just want to climb this Connie Nast uh, ladder. And when the pandemic hit, I knew that I was going to leave, but so many other things in my life changed and my priorities, like a lot of other people shifted. And I started having conversations that um, I was not having very publicly. So I think the big pivot point for me in my career was I knew I was going to leave. The question was just, where am I going? Am I going to go to like a Vogue or a Teen Vogue or am I going to do something else? And it really was when I, um, a friend of mine right before the pandemic hit had asked me to write a blog post for his blog about my mental health. And I wrote it. It came out during the pandemic. And when that came out and I saw the reaction and I felt how good I felt inside to be able to talk about those things publicly, that was my aha career moment of like, this is what I need to be talking about. And it made so much sense because even when I was like really young and trying to write and, you know, get this like journalist brain on when I was like in middle school and high school, I was always trying to find the intersection of things that I loved with things that mattered. Like I was always trying to find the intersection of like fashion and politics or fashion and culture, beauty and, and, you know, our self-worth. And, and this was my moment where I was like, our mental health literally trickles into every other part of our lives. Like nothing else matters if we're not taking care of our brains. And it was from there that I was like, okay, this is what I, this is what I need to do. And, you know, I have to thank Amy for it because she was the one that put it in my ear when I was her assistant, like you should be on camera. She was the first person to ever tell me I should be on camera. And I never in my life thought that I would be like video. Like I had it in my head. That was like maybe some like fantasy of being on TV one day, but like never thought that I would be like this, like front facing, I want to be on camera type of person. And she was like, you need to be on camera. You need to do it. So having her like voice in the back of my head really inspired me to start having these conversations about mental health. And then I started the show. Should we talk about it on my personal Instagram? And I was literally just like bringing on, um, people that I really admire. And this whole time I was still at Connie now. like, I was still at AD and I was working so many hours because so much more work was tacked on due to the super unfortunate layoffs that had happened. Um, so I was working like wild hours for my, regular job and then was like staying up all night, like editing and prepping and like doing all these things for the show. So it was really when that 
happened that I was like, okay, I need to leave. And not only do I need to leave, but I need to go off on my own and trust myself because there's something here. And these are the conversations that I need to have. And I don't see a publication or a big corporation doing it in the way that I think it should be done. So I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. And how did you prepare yourself for this exit? Um, <laughs> like financially, <laughs> mentally, like, yeah. well, financially, I think I was saving a lot during the pandemic because I was very, very, very lucky to get to go back to my mom's house where I was spending zero dollars. And that is not a situation that a lot of people were in. So fully recognize that. So I was saving a lot of money during the pandemic. And I also, you know, it's no secret that assistants at companies like Kanye Nast don't make a lot of money. And what I was making in my salary and what I knew just from like industry information, what I knew I could be making as a freelance writer, I knew it was not worth to stay there. I knew that I would be making more even if I was writing less because that's how little money I was getting paid. So financially, it wasn't that stressful. Yes, it was stressful to know that I wasn't getting a paycheck every two weeks um, because as a freelancer, you obviously have to invoice people and that takes 30 days. Some people don't pay you on time and, you know, you always have to like plan a couple months in advance. Um, so definitely figuring out my fan- my finances as a freelancer has been very interesting. But I guess I should mention, so people aren't confused, like I'm still um, writing. So I'm still writing for AD and for other magazines. And that's been my main stream of income. I'm just doing it as a freelancer. And um, it's, yeah. So I, I think I set myself up financially that way. I'm still learning every day and, and figuring it every day. And I think I'm learning to work smarter, not harder, especially in the types of stories that I'm writing and and people's rates have gone down a lot. So I'm definitely figuring out like, that's not worth my time. I know it's, you know, a hundred bucks sounds great, but that's, I'm not going to take that. You know, I'm going to wait until I can get, or I'm going to pitch a place that I know has double or like triple or quadruple that, you know, per story. So just being smarter about the things that I'm taking on. Um, and then I honestly attribute so much to just networking. And this is why, like, I always, always, always push people in college that I speak to, to network because Mm -hmm. you never (laughs) know where one conversation is going to get you. Yep. So I, when I was at, at Connie Nass, like I, I networked a lot. Like I was always meeting with not only people, you know, higher up, but with people that were my peers, like other assistants, I became really good friends with. And and those, they're mainly women. Those women have been so pivotal in my career and so helpful. And um, even after leaving uh, AD, like I meet so many people online now. And during the pandemic, people were just leaning into social media in that way and like trying to find solace there sort of. So I definitely have met so many amazing people online and, you know, through DM and, and through the show. And I just like, it, it made me feel like, okay, I have, I have pretty good people in my corner that I know I can lean on. And at the end of the day, like that's also, that was also one of the reasons I took that job. And I think that like, you have to be so smart about the steps that you take in your career and the jobs that you say yes to. And when I got offered to be Amy's assistant, you know, I knew that for however long I worked there, like 
if I had a great relationship with her, I knew that she was the type of person that she would want to help me in like a mentor capacity. So I feel like, you know, my two years at AD, it was sort of working up to the ask that I basically could get with her at, at the end, you know, like I learned so, so much from her and from the people around me there, but like knowing that I had them in my corner when I was going to leave made the decision to leave a lot easier, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how, so what'd you say? Instead of just network, everyone just needs to network with other people. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and how did the decision to move to LA come to fruition? Um, I still like wake up in this city and like, I'm like, I cannot believe I'm here. I had always wanted to move to LA. My older brother lives here and he's lived here for the past like 20 years. Mm. And so I grew up coming here every summer, um, with my dad. He's, we have the same dad, different mom. So I would come every year with my dad. And I just, there was always just something about LA that I loved. It was the landscape, the weather, just like the energy here was just always super, I don't know, intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And when I was graduating from college, I really wanted to move here. And I, one of my mentors at the time told me straight up, he was like, look, getting a job in this industry is one hurdle. Getting a job in this industry in LA is like four hurdles because it's very known that like a lot of editors come out to LA sort of once they're established in their careers and they're sort of trusted to tap into the LA market and not have to be in an office every day. So that was, that's, what's going to change during, after COVID, you know, like people are, they trust you to work remotely, but all these headquarters were in New York. So I knew that I had to start my, my career in New York. It just didn't make sense for me to come here. And honestly, I was like dreaming of the day I could leave <laughs> like the whole time. Like I love New York, but I also hate New York. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I love visiting. Like same. I love No, I'm the same way. I a hundred percent get it. It was just so stressful. And especially as like someone who's not from there. So when the pandemic hit um, and I decided to, I think the decision to leave my job and the decision to move to LA were one and the same because I knew that I wasn't going to work for another magazine immediately. And if I chose to do that down the line, I could do it remotely. So I was like, you know what? When I feel like I have my footing, when the pandemic has calmed down a little bit, I will move out there. So I ended up staying in Miami for like nine, 10 months and then came out in January. And you came out with your boyfriend at the same time or at different times? Um, I came out first. So he, I came out in January and, um, you know, from the beginning, even before, like we had talked about him coming out here, he was so supportive and like knew that this was something that I had to do for myself. And we also have the, the blessing that he is an athlete. So he is traveling all the time and, um, you know, at the time, like wasn't signed with anyone. So he was like, I can train from, from wherever. And, and, you know, the businesses that he has going on are, are his own and he's very, you know, entrepreneurial in that way. And so he, he was like, why not? You know, he loves it here too. So he was like, why, why not do it? So he came out a couple months later. Cool. And, um, from, I don't know, maybe an outsider's perspective, um, aka mine. Um, <laughs> I'm just curious how you got to meet all the um, 
creative content creators, influencer people who you surround yourself with now in LA and all of that? Yeah. Um, I feel very lucky that the friends that I have in LA and some of them being in the content creation space are all such good people because I, I think it's very rare. Um, I was connected with these networking. Like I, I worked with um, one of my best friends, Maddie, like we worked together. Um, she came on, should we talk about it? And we were connected through another mutual friend and it was like an instant, okay, we're obsessed with each other. And, and, you know, we just stayed in touch and just kept talking and then it just sort of flourished naturally. I think when you start, or I guess I'll, I'll say this in terms of just myself, when I really started working on myself, which I, sort of attribute that to like 2018 time when I really started doing a lot of internal work, a lot of things around me just started shifting because I really believe in people's energies. And I, I believe that like certain people vibrate on the same frequency, certain people don't. And when you're more in tune with yourself, I feel like that becomes a lot more obvious. And so when I started really leaning into the mental health space and really leaning into like the advocacy work on that side, I, all these people just started coming into my life who were either A, doing the same thing or B, like on this journey to find people who were doing that because that's what they wanted to surround themselves with. So that's really how I connected with all of the girls out here is like through our love of trying to better ourselves and this sort of um, like notion that we we are too important. Like, I think we all need to have this sort of like importance about ourselves. Like, like my time is too important to give to people who I do not think are good people or who make me feel like shit. So I'm very proud to say that all of the friends that I have right now, old and new are people that make me feel good and people that raise me up. And I hopefully do the same for them. So I think like when you're just on that path, those people just kind of you, you gravitate towards each other. Definitely. No, I agree. It's just so fun, honestly, for me to see you um, growing and blossoming in LA because one, um, we get to work together. So that's how we yeah. men. That's like the fun part of it. But two, um, a lot of the people who you've been, um, who I've seen you with like on social media, I've personally followed since I was in high school. Like, Oh, really? Yeah, like Alexa and Maddie and like all these people. And it's like, it's just, it's super cool to see that you guys are all, um, like you said, all on the same like frequency and wanting to better yourselves. And it's just like, it's cool because I've followed these people, but to know that like these are the people who maybe if I knew in real life, I aligned with like- mm-hmm. Like they're good. They're good. Exactly. People. Like, it's like so cool. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? No, absolutely. And like, I hear you, you know, like when I became friends with Alexa, I straight up told her, I was like, I used to watch your videos all the time. Yeah. Like, I love you. Like, I think you're, I think you're wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the really cool thing about YouTube is that um, unlike Instagram, it's a lot more real. And so these girls who grew up in that YouTube space, like the, the veil is down for the most part. So like, that's how they are, you know, mm-hmm. they're these, like wonderful, kind girls who are down to help others around them and, and make this world a better, happier place. Yes. And I feel like 
the girls who succeed the most are the ones who are bringing each other up with them as they grow. Oh, absolutely. I think I so believe in karma. And I'm like, that is just bad karma. If you were, you know, I think as, as women though, I will say we've been so conditioned to think that there's only enough space for one of us in a room. And that's, I think where all of the issues start is that we, we believe it because it's the case a lot of the times, but that's, that's shifting and that's changing. And we're making our own spaces. We're like bulldozing our way to make our presence known Mm -hmm. and make sure that we fit in the space. But what I think is so awesome to see from so many of the women that I really look up to is they're not only making space for themselves, but they're making space for the people around them and the women around them too. So I think, you know, with every step that you take up, it's important to, to bring someone with you and to make space for that person too, and to provide opportunities for that too. And I think like, you know, that's also rooted so deeply in like checking ourselves and checking our privilege and, and, and knowing the opportunities um, that we get, not being blind to them and, and seeing, you know, am I only getting this opportunity because of my financial status? Am I only getting this opportunity because of the color of my skin or my ethnicity or, you know, whatever it may be, recognizing why you're getting that opportunity and then seeing what you can do to help those around you who don't have that opportunity because they didn't have either the financial background that you had or they don't have the same skin tone as you. Yeah. I'm like the world we live in. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious um, as to what the future of you as a brand and the different projects that you currently work on are working on for the future, what that looks like. Yeah. So a lot of it is still in development. So I will keep my mouth shut ish <laughs> on some of the projects, but I'm definitely, I can say I'm really excited to be leaning more into my interests um, and sort of aligning those interests with everything that I do. So I, I will say that every project that I'm working on um, really focuses for me on normalizing stigmatized conversations. I will never, ever, ever stop talking about mental health and its importance and trying to elevate other people's voices and other people's stories. I think my purpose on this planet is to be a storyteller. And I've always done that through my writing. And it's been really exciting for me to get to um, navigate different ways of telling those stories. So whether it's through video or through podcasts or things like that. So, you know, I, I dip my toe in, in, in the water with, should we talk about it? And, and I'm excited to be working on a podcast now. So I have a podcast launching at the end of May, hopefully if everything goes according to plan. Um, and I'm going to be working on that with my friend Meadow and it's called thoughts may vary. You guys can follow me on Instagram and, and then figure it out from there because we're still figuring out our handle. <laughs> so like, I'm not going to say the wrong handle. Yeah. Um, I'm working on it with my friend Meadow. She's a mental health consultant and she's an expert and trained in social work. So it's been really fun to do that with her because we have like the peer and expert perspectives mixed together. Um, because I always say like, I am learning, like I'm, I'm, I'm figuring this out every day, like the rest of everyone else. Um, so yeah, it's just been really fun and liberating to get to work on projects that really excite me, especially after leaving a job like the one that I had where like my days weren't mine and my life was dedicated to making someone else's life easier. 
it's been really freeing to just get to make my own schedule and focus on things that I want to focus on, write the types of stories that I want to write on. You know, obviously I'm not at the point yet where I'm saying no to a lot of things when it comes to writing. And that's something that I really want to work on just because I want to dedicate my time better, I guess, to the, to the stories that I want to write to and, and writing is a very draining activity <laughs> and job. So it takes up a lot of time when you have to interview and transcribe and like do all those things and research. So I definitely am trying to get better at um, allocating my time better, I guess, to writing and and saying no to things that don't make sense for me or things that I just don't want to do. Um, but then I have to be realistic and understand that right now that's all that's making me money. So I got to do what I got to do in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and... I'm curious also as to some of the mental health tools that you use um, on a day-to-day basis maybe or um, things that help you out. Yeah. Um, I'm a big journaler. Mm-hmm. I love making lists. And so I love like a gratitude list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to use the five-minute journal a lot. I don't use it as much anymore. Um, so I just kind of write in like my own notebook and make my own lists there. So I'm a big journaler. Um, something that I learned working at the magazine was, uh, finding moments of peace wherever I could. So I do that a lot still where like, I'll take, even if it's like 30 seconds to just like take a couple deep breaths and like close my eyes and just like be super present. I do that a lot. Um, I definitely go in waves of like meditation and things like that, but I think a lot of my mental health practices are just rooted in awareness And I'm working on being more present and being more aware and just being more here every day. And so I just try and listen to whatever my body needs, whatever my mind is telling me I need, you know, whether it's just stepping outside for four seconds and like staring. I do that a lot. Like I have a balcony for the first time in my life. And from my balcony, I can see the Hollywood sign. And so I'll like walk out. I do this daily. I'll go outside and I just look at the Hollywood sign. I leave my phone inside and I'm just like, I live here. Mm-hmm. And I just take a moment to like breathe in of like, oh my God, I made this happen. Let's be proud for four seconds. And um, it's sort of like a meditation. <laughs> so I think it just depends. Um, I always say like the things that work for me might not work for somebody else, but it's just about listening to yourself and, and figuring out what works best for you. Yeah. I feel like listening to that um it's definitely something I've recognized even within myself that when you're super busy and you're super focused on the projects that you're doing and if you have people under you or just working with people in general, making sure every single um, thing is checked off the list of to-dos. And how do you, you like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you celebrate your wins Mm -hmm. in this like stressful life yeah yeah um well something else that I just thought of too was I was just thinking about what I used to do when I was living in New York since New York was such a stressful environment and like I having a commute made such a difference even though I was on the subway and was like smushed between a million people I still had time to just like walk outside Mm -hmm. and get from like point A to point B and when you're working from home you don't have that daily commute so that's why I think just like getting outside even for a little bit makes such an impact because we were used to that whether you were driving in a car or walking Mm -hmm. just 
trying to find those those moments of you're not doing anything else but like getting home is important but um how do I celebrate my wins like like when you were like I went on my balcony and I stood there for 40 seconds and I was like I did this Mm -hmm. I was like girl like I I do that like I, I definitely like have moments where I'm like oh my god like that's that's great I can't believe I'm doing this like 10 year old me would be freaking out mm-hmm. but I don't know I'm really trying to get better at it because I still have such imposter syndrome when it comes to like anytime I do something I'm like why does anyone care and like I think that you know every time like I don't know whether I'm like featured in something because I'm still very new to this and I'm also like not trying to blow myself up in a way that like I'm not, you know, like I'm, I'm aware of where I am on this journey. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm like self-aware to a fault where I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I think I definitely need to be better at celebrating the wins just because I think right now I'm like in such the early stages of things that I'm just too caught up in the details of how I'm going to get there that I sometimes forget to just be present and celebrate the the small things along the way I'm just like waiting for the big one you know what I mean yeah so I don't have an answer for that because I'm not very good at it and I really do want to get better at it I think literally like this is so sad but it's just like I'll like if I'm gonna celebrate it at all I'm just like I like text it in my family group chat and I'm like guys and like that's about it (laughs) like that's that's as far as it goes these days I mean, well, it's definitely something something to think about because the wins are going to be coming even more as time goes on. Thanks. I hope so. <laughs> no, they will. Literally. It's just, oh my gosh. It's so funny to me that, I mean, not funny, but like the imposter syndrome. Because when I, I feel like even when we first like met on like the onboarding call, like you seem like your energy, your vibe, the way you dress, the accessories, that you are already an influencer. Honestly. Like, well, it's, it's just funny because like whenever I have these conversations with people about like influencer stuff is like, I'm not an influencer. Like I don't have that many followers. Like I'm not like, like, you know, there's just like, even the other day someone was like, how are you verified? And I was like, cause I'm a journalist and people give a shit when you're a journalist because you're like, I don't know, like I needed the swipe up for, to post my stories. Cause I'm constantly like sharing my articles, but like I've never wanted or tried to be an influencer. Like the, it's just not in the cards. And I think that like as as women, and I think I said this to you and Scout in our onboarding call, I was like, as a woman who is starting a business and who is working on projects that she finds important, it is so unfortunate, but also like the reality that nobody cares unless they care about you. Like all of these entrepreneurs we see on Instagram and they're all like, we might see them as an influencer, but then like on the side, you're like, wait, but they have these like booming businesses, you know, like I follow women like Pierre Baranchini with like LPA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Love Pierre Baranchini is her. an influencer, but Pierre Baranchini is a designer. She's a CEO, like she's a founder, like the woman is a badass and not to say that influencers aren't badasses, but like a lot of the times the women that we follow, we might just think they're influencers, but we have no idea what's going on. People like Mariana Hewitt, with summer Fridays. Like that is a huge business that she has there. Right. So that's been this like weird space that I'm trying to navigate where I'm like, I want people to care about what I'm talking about in the mental health space, in, you know, the projects that are coming, how do I get them to care? Okay. One of those things means people have to care about me and therefore I need to post on Instagram more. And it's this very weird 
thing that I feel like people don't talk about enough. And that's something that I used to talk about a lot on Should We Talk About It? And I had Allie Kriegsman on the show. She's the co-founder of Bulletin. And we were talking about that because we had a call with the same, with the person, I had a call with her PR girl and we were talking about it. And she was like, yeah, I have to, like, I was pushing Allie to post more on Instagram and like, you know, do these, these things on Instagram and she hates it. And Allie was talking about it. She's like, yeah, it sucks. But like, I'm trying to sell a book. And it's like, we have to recognize the power that's in this. It's like these, they're, they're human billboards. So that's funny that like, I, I don't know. It's just like, the way that I dress, at least, I feel like that's just how I've always been. I've always been like obsessed with fashion and obsessed with stuff, which isn't a good habit. <laughs> I'm um, but yeah, just like I, I've just had to become more comfortable with putting myself out there. And a lot of that came with just like honestly not giving a shit of like what people think. I think also it's been – it was weird in the beginning because I, I was acutely aware of the fact that everybody that was following me knew me personally for the most part. So I was like, these people are going to think this is so weird. Like, this is so uncomfortable. Um, And then I just had to get over it. And so then I got over the like, okay, you've known me since high school or you've known me since middle school. You probably talk shit about me already anyway. Like, I don't care. So I'm going to do what I need to do on social media, like to to get where I want to go. But then like when other people started following me who don't know me or like found me through YouTube or through the show or through other people, like that's when like, I'm like, okay, this is where I have to check myself and make sure that I don't get on the like, I don't know, like falling into the trap of like caring about like what those people think who I don't know. Like I obviously care in a sense of like, I, I want to know that they're okay. And I want to know their opinions on certain things. But I think it's like, there's a difference between when you ask for someone's opinion and when someone's opinion is unsolicited. So I haven't navigated the space of like flooding comments because we're not there yet on this journey. But like, I'm just trying to pr- like prep myself or like if when that starts to happen you know yeah how has it felt recently with um starting a new youtube channel Mm. i've had to honestly pretend like no one sees it like that's 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 the way I, i do it is i pretend like no one is watching this but me and it's been a really fun outlet for me because it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I never did it because I was too scared of what people were going to say about me. Like I've always loved YouTube. And um, that's why I think it's so cool. Like some of the friends that I have now that started in the space so young, I'm like, it's so amazing that like you had the courage to to do that and you didn't know where it was going to take you. Whereas now like my nephew who's 12 literally says like he wants to be a YouTuber when he grows up. Um which is so (laughs) weird to me. Um, But it's been really fun. It's been, I really wanted a space to talk about things that mattered to me um, that weren't necessarily like in the mental health route. Obviously I talk about mental health all the time on there, but I think like that I just wanted another outlet because before my only other outlet was the should we talk about a page? And that was so mental health focused that I was like, okay, what if I want to talk about like, I just got off birth control. I want to talk about this. Like I want to know other girls who have PCOS are feeling this way. And so YouTube has been my space to, it's like crowdsourcing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you just like talk about what you want to talk about and can ask questions and just like send it into the ether and then like have conversations with people. I don't know. I think it's a cool, it's a cool space. Yeah, I agree. I love YouTube. (laughs) So where can everyone find you on social media? So everyone can find me at Gabby Uyoa underscore. That's how you say my last name, by the way. Thank you. For people who don't, most people don't know. So it's G-A-B-Y-U-L-L-O-A underscore. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the thoughts may vary. 
Instagram page, whatever that handle ends up being will be somewhere, but you can just follow me on Instagram and it'll be there. Comes out end of May. Perfect. You to hear it. Yes. I'm so excited. Yay. Cool. Thank you.